Hi, this is Sean King, host of My Youth on Record. Have you ever wondered what your favorite musicians were like in high school? My co-hosts and I took that question straight to the artists. You're about to get a candid look into the teenage years of our next musical guest. I got into stand-up as more of a, it was random. Like I wasn't going to be a stand-up comedian. It just happened that that my my wife got a job at Comedy Works here in Denver when we had moved here, mm. and uh, people were like, "Oh, you're funny. You should try this." And I tried it, and I happened to be good at it, just because I was comfortable on stage. Um, but uh, no, music has always been very cathartic for me. I think so. When I was 15, that guy Dan invited me over to his house. They had a they had a cover band. And he was, I went over, he's like, you can come listen to us practice. I just wanted to go watch. And they, he would sing. And then he was like, hey, we're going to, do you want to try to sing? And I was like, (laughs) oh man, that'd be awesome. And they played Bulls on Parade by Rage Against the Machine. They had done that cover. And that still raises goosebumps on my arm. I was 15. I grabbed the mic. I sang and I screamed through the whole thing. And it almost makes me want to cry. It was that moment in my life where I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. (laughs) I don't ever want to do anything else. Like, and for better or worse, you know, I like trained myself that music became the reason I got up every day. Welcome to My Youth on Record, a podcast where artists share the music they made as teens and the stories behind the songs. Today, our guest is Ben Roy. Ben is known for his true TV comedy, Those Who Can't, where he plays an anarchist, punk rock, social studies teacher. He's also been a working musician since a young age. When Ben walks into the room, it's almost as if his heart is on the outside of his body. Just being around him, you feel the depths of his emotions. He is raw, he is real, and his music is as cathartic today as when he was 16 years old. Ben Roy, thank you so much for being here. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. I was hoping you could take us back to Maine in the 90s. What was high school like? Um, Well, I grew up in uh, a little town, like, just basically outside the capital. So about, uh, like, 10 minutes west of Augusta. So, like, it was just um, small, economically depressed. Like, it was just the same as most, like, small towns has an empty mill in the middle of it. That is just a reminder of a more <laughs> prosperous time that is it's not happening anymore. But um, my school was particularly messed up. I mean, it was it uh, made news for all the wrong reasons. I mean, you can look at I went to Winter High School and it it uh, you can find stories. It was in Sports Illustrated because um, like six of our football players committed suicide within two years of each other. It was a very dark place. And it was, Maine was a, a kind of a, a petri dish for the opioid epidemic very early on. Like I went to school with 300 kids, but I saw heroin at parties and it was very, um, it was, it looks bucolic and pastoral, you know, but it's very, uh, a very dark place, you know, like before we started, you were talking about how Connecticut was for you. And that's very, um, Maine is a very dark place for me, you know, but, um, I think during the nineties we were this, uh, you know, kind of similar. We listened to a lot of, you know, alternative radio, you know, WCYY. That was like the big <laughs> station. And, uh, and, uh, it was, uh, I don't know. It was a very confusing time for me. Were you, know? you discovering music through zines and tape trading? 
I actually, uh, well, like I got like early on, I got into like metal, like hair metal through like a cousin who gave me shout at the devil. He gave me Motley Crue shout at the devil and he, he didn't want it anymore. He didn't like it, which I'll tell that cousin he has a, a head injury now. Cause that is like, that's one of the great heavy metal albums of all time to me. And, uh, and I got into that and then, uh, I was really into hip hop. Like I, I used to watch Yo MTV raps and I liked like, like Coco brothers and Smith and Wesson. Well, they were Smith and Wesson, but then they changed. And then like lost boys and stuff like that. But then this guy gave me a, uh, uh, I went skateboarding one day. I was really into skating, skateboarding. I started skating when I was like 10 years old and I went to a, to a, a football game and uh, this kid was skating around and I was all like, yo, that's dope when he was doing something because I'd only been watching yo MTV raps. <laughs> and he was like, do you ever listen to punk rock? And I was like, no. And he gave me the, a violent Femmes cassette and I played that till it warped. And then I went to Columbia House and I started scamming Columbia House when they would like, remember the business plan of all business plans? Hey, 10 CDs for one penny. Like your company's not going to fold doing that. And so I scammed probably hundreds of CDs and I started listening. And I'll remember what got me into punk was Punkorama came out, the first epitaph release, release of Punkorama. And it's one of the greatest that was a pivotal moment for me because it had bad religion on it. It had, uh, it had total chaos. And I remember RKL and like that, when I heard that album, Wayne Kramer and people like that, I was like, this is perfect. It had that anger and that angst, and, but it felt accessible. Mm -hmm. And so that was like, then we started getting like, you know, we'd order like stuff from punk and disorderly or like, uh, you, you know, um, uh, maximum rock and roll and things like that. So definitely like that was a big, big point for us. Yeah. Maximum rock and roll. I remember oh, you ordering records. Cause there was a kid in a grade ahead of me. His name was Dan and he was like into skating and he like loved Nirvana, but he would order all kinds of records and he was into like way out there stuff. And so my buddy Dan just started introducing me to all kinds of like, like filth and blats and os rotten and the pissed and fleas and lice and like gutter like crust punk stuff yeah and like the Pinkerton thugs and bands like all the stuff that sounds <laughs> like I hear the band names now I'm like <laughs> yeah oh, man well you know it's funny I love talking about I I love talking about those bands and those times and and then when I think back to it Sean and I were were saying how like. In my high school, there was a real division where we used to we were called Outbackers, the ones who would hang out back, and that's where everyone would Dude, smoke. Dude, that's a cool nickname, the Outbackers. <laughs> yeah, but as that broke down, there was metalheads, there was punks, and there was hippies, and they didn't really. There was a little bit of mixing, but like punk and metal were so distinct. Did you feel? Did you feel like there was a big? Distinction not, between not, punk not and metal? Maine, no, not in no, Maine. because everything was so small. I mean, I graduated with seventy something kids, you know, and and, and in an area that small, it was it, skaters, punks, um, like anybody that wasn't white. So if there there was like like a Mexican kid in our school and a black kid, and we hung out with them because everybody it was like whoever didn't like Hicks. 
You know, like whoever didn't like the rednecks, that was basically what it was, <laughs> how it was. And so like metalheads, I, I remember like I went to school with this kid named Sean Roach, which was the best last name ever. His last <laughs> name was actually Roach, which is the most trashy best thing ever. His his brother was, they were from Florida. His brother used to come in with like Cannibal Corpse and Deicide albums. And he had a, I remember he had a, like a silver chain with a pentagram on it, like a big one. And he had long black hair and no one in our town had ever seen anything like that. And I was like, dude, this kid's rad. And he always had headphones on. And so we started hanging out with him and I like fostered a love of like, of like death metal, like Deicide's like Satan spawned the caco demon, like that album. I was like, oh man, this is amazing. Uh, it, the, we just kind of melded it all together because when you grow up in a small town, there are benefits to it. But one of the worst parts is you can't ever get away from any of those people. You know, like part of the reason why it was so destructive is you could never evolve or change. But part of what was cool is that you were also open to a lot of different things because you you hung out just by a necessity with people who were into a lot of different things. Kind of going back to uh, just the struggles of like this small town environment. I'm, I'm curious, like what, what kept you going? What got you out of your bed every day and what made you go to school? Um, getting up every morning depends. Like in high school, I didn't really feel like I had a lot of reason to get up. I was a pretty angry kid. Some shit happened when I was younger and, mm. and, uh, I don't feel like my, and I mean, I can go into detail. I don't know where you guys want to go with that, but I mean, definitely some things happened when I was younger. I'm kind of a product of that, the Catholic church scandal. I was, uh, you know, I dealt with abuse from, a at a Catholic camp. And so I was real angry early on. And so until I found uh, in high school, probably sophomore year, I found theater hmm. and hmm. I flunked every class, but I got into a drama program and that I loved being on stage immediately. Hmm. And then, um, I kept doing that. You were only supposed to take it one year cause it was a small school and not a big program. And I remember I, I took it four years in high school and that was the class that I probably showed up for most. Would you say there was one specific teacher yeah bud barnes he's like uh that guy changed my life he taught me to be silly on stage mm. and like taught me to like let go of myself mm. and that was a big thing and then at the same time i got in trouble i was doing a lot of drugs and i got caught with drugs on school property and i was made to go to our school drug counselor and my drug counselor jason whitney was like the first person as well that really got me like talking about a lot of the stuff. He was the first person to actually go to bat and press charges for the things that had happened. And so it was like the first time that like somebody had actually, I felt like stuck up for me in that situation. And so like, those were the people that I think I went to school with, but, um, uh, music for me was always outside of school. This year, Ben has been sharing his story of his own encounters with sexual abuse in the Catholic Church. But as we learned in our interview, he's been attempting to tell this story through music since he was a teen. In true Ben's style, the content of this music is somewhat graphic and is intended for audiences who have the maturity to hear the story. You know, I mean, like playing in a band, we didn't have a lot in that area. So 
Um, Can you talk about that first band? Oh, yeah. We were called Sun Chicken. Uh, <laughs> Sun Chicken was pretty big deal. Uh, we just did it to, like, drink keg beer and go to parties. So we would, like, play Weezer covers and Nirvana covers and uh, Rage Against the Machine and Green Day. And um, it was so fun. It was this uh, – the, the, I still – all the people in it, well, with the exception of the drummer, I don't know where he is now, but most of them I still know very well. And it was just lighthearted fun. We would go to parties and play on decks, and people would love it. You were the king of that party if you played in a band at the party. And um, Dan, the guitarist from that, was like, we should play our own music. And so uh, he put an ad in the newspaper for a drummer, and uh, we got we got a response this dude responded, and we went to go meet him, and his shit is all out on the lawn. His parents had kicked him out of his house. And oh, man. He's like, I'm going to Denver randomly. We hadn't, I was still in, I'd never been to Denver. Mm-hmm. He moved to Denver. Then about a year, like six months later, I went back to school, and he was in the class. And I was like, hey, we met you. And he's like, yeah, it didn't work out in Denver. Now he's back in school. And, and I was like, do you still play drums? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, we want to start a band. So we... So we met up, and that was the first, like, original band that I'd been in. The cover band was whatever. It was more just a gateway of, like, of like to a passion that, like, I, I've not ever let go of, you know? Can we, can we listen to one of those songs now? Yeah, what do you want um, to listen to? How about, how about you set it up? Is it, I don't even know if I'm saying the band name right, the Mendicants? Mendicants, yeah. Mendicants. So I came up with that name. This was that band. Uh, a mendicant is a beggar uh, in, like... Uh, probably in like medieval times, um, they were friars who survived totally off of begging. And uh, so I came up with that name because we just didn't have any money. (laughs) We were all broke and we had no equipment and we were the mendicants. And so I don't know what song you're going to play. I mean, um, do you want me to call one out of them? Yeah, why not? Oh, God. Some of them are terrible. You you recommended uh, that... Maybe our producer here can list the the three names of the ones we have queued oh, up. I know which ones we have. I, I sent you guys. Yeah, but do you want? Uh, I'll just go at this. There's um, the first one is uh, uh, called Tenth Cell. Uh, you can do Tenth Cell, I guess. Yeah, let's listen on our headphones here. Cool. Uh, I was 16, I think, when this was done. Nice. Yeah. Is it nice? (laughs) Uh, I think I'm number one. Or wait, maybe. Yeah, that's me. Thanks. Ben, you were 16 when this was recorded? lyrics for this one? Yeah. I'll explain them in a minute. 
Sounds exceptionally good for what, you being oh, yeah. for you being sixteen. I mean, what, what, well, was, the, what was the recording? What was the recording uh, situation? I mean, it sounds really we, good. Um, so we started. Um, we met this guy. This guy. Um, this little town called Gardner, Maine. So Maine was filled with like because there was nothing else to do. It had a very large, prolific music scene because there really wasn't anything else to do. And so this guy, Shad Lewis, had this house. It almost looked like it was from Lemony Snicket's. It was like <laughs> like the top window wasn't even straight. It was like sideways. And he had this beautiful like um, recording studio inside that he was recording all reel-to-reels in the bedroom. So it was all on Ampeg Reel. Like, and, and so that was all analog, recorded analog. And um, he was just a really smart, like this. He, I mean, he couldn't have been more than 20-something when he recorded that. And everybody recorded there. And um, so we went in. I think we did it in like two days. But we had, we had gone through incarnations of that band. But we found this kid. His name was Nate Wilson. We had been playing. And, and he was like this music. He still is this virtuoso. Like he joined our band and just changed the sound. He made it so dark and like scraping, like the guitars were like, you know, like dark, mean sounding. He was like scraping his bass, like, and we were like, this guy's mental. Like, and it changed. He taught us like different time signatures to play in. He just was light years ahead of us as musicians and it changed the sound it turned it into we didn't know what hardcore was we were playing what we thought was punk rock yeah we had never i'd this was before i ever started listening to a hardcore band and when people from out of state would hear us they go oh you're a hardcore band and i'd never heard hardcore i just knew it as punk and uh so we recorded in his house and um that song uh i can't even remember i believe i so i wrote that it was about a story I had read. It's called Tencel because I, I had heard this story of, of a prison uprising where they would segregate child like pedophiles into a, a cell block of their own, and into one cell block, and there had been an uprising, but their cells were locked separately, and they went through and murdered all the pedophiles all down the way to ten cells. So the song is written like you're in the tenth cell. And the song was like, I think the lyrics are like, uh, uh, Mexico City was the place where justice was finally dealt. There was no judge to hear the case. An angry mob took it upon themselves. You're segregated like the animals you should be treated like. One act of your own perversion ruined innocent children's lives. And then it's you have every right to fear because you know you'll burn in hell the screams of others like you in earlier cells. And I was 16 writing this yeah, stuff. Man. And my mom would hear this. <laughs> and my mother, I remember, I, I, we came back with the recording and I played her these songs and she was like, um, I don't think I like this. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> my parents never liked that band. But uh, it was the first time when I say like, uh, I think comedy feeds an ego part of me. And that was what was tough. Um, music, and I'll get emotional. Uh, uh, music was a way for me to vet 
things that I felt like I couldn't talk about. Mm. You know, uh, Maine is hyper-masculine and, and masculinity is currency. And uh, there was a lot of homophobia and the idea that anybody would have thought that anything that I had done or been a part of. And so I hid a lot of this stuff. And without music, it was eating me up. Like my anger was making me. But when I found a band and I found that outlet to like blow all that stuff up and be like, you have every right to fear. It, I felt better, you know, like for the first time I felt like my anger had a, like it had a purpose and a place that it belonged where it didn't seem stark and out of place mm. in that place. It, it, that's where it belonged. It was like, it's genuine and it's important for you to show that because crowds feed off that. Right. And it was like, Oh, I can, I can use this pain and this uh, frustration and all of a sudden it's cool now. And I think that that's what punk rock, but I'll, uh, the writing those songs, they were ways for me to uh, feel like that it wasn't all negative. Like there was yeah, a positive man. thing that came out Thank of it. Thank you for sharing that. I don't know that I would have understood that backstory. I mean, it's it's amazing hearing you talk about it and how much it's like it it stands up. You remember the lyrics. Your early writing was so cathartic. Yeah. Yeah, it was a way that like I uh, I think it scared my parents because they didn't no parent wants to hear their kids saying, you know, I mean, we had we had a song on there called Stuck in the Gloom, you know, and, and like the, it goes into this. Oh, I feel like dun, dun, suicide. Right. And no, no parent wants to hear that their kid has that inside of them, you know. But what I was trying to tell my parents and even my older brother would tell them is at least he's saying it. Mm. You know, you should be scared if it's not coming out of it. My Youth on Record sees the value of introducing musicians to young and emerging artists. Ben was not only willing to share his story with us, but he flipped the script of the interview onto our student, Sean Don, and started asking him questions about his own lyric writing process. The two found a synergy between punk, hardcore, and hip-hop, and they agreed that all three share something in common, truth-telling. Mind if I share some some lyrics of my own with yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please do. Cool, cool. So let's see. What would I want to go to? Yeah, we'll do something. It's kind of about, like, my mom's struggles uh, and just parenting in general. But it goes like this. There's a place for your feelings, place for your healing, place for your place when your heart is a villain. On the couch chilling, thinking about your children. Everybody in your sphere got my skin peeling. Breath intensifies, lies of the times. Mix and we match our facts, attract opposition. Never get that, meant that. We're product of a people, betrayed by ambition. Willie Lynch complex puts it in the context. Concepts meant to divide, but we rise in the toughest of times. Use a mastermind. Your wealth is your health. Prosper, foster, evolution, resolve the pollution. Love your solution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what always impressed me is not only like uh, the cadence and everything, it's the sheer volume hmm. that's written. Hmm. Like when I, 
you know, like so many songs I write, it's like, ah! <laughs> but I'm like writing whole albums or whole songs of it's like stanzas upon stanzas mm-hmm. of like, of like dense lyrical content. I, first of all, a memorization mm-hmm. is insane. B just the sheer amount of writing that goes into that. Right. Like, and that's, and also like, I love, like, I'm, I, I love that this there's a new direction coming out in the, and I and I think it's cultural right now of like like uh that it has to, that, that that realizing that everything has to be a a change in how we view ourselves mm-hmm. you know like right, right. like uh um everybody has to s- start viewing what we value you know and and when I it always makes me sad that I'm not saying more you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like whenever, whenever I hear like stuff like you, like what you write, I'm mad that I'm not doing that. You know, like I, but it's not my story to tell. You know, and in, in some respects, like I, I'm not going to talk about something that's not mine. You know, it's but it uh, it always affects me. Do you when you write? Do you find that you tend to find? Because I'm always curious about this. Do you find a rhythm pattern? I do like a meow track. Hmm. So like, I'm just like, meow, 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 So I find the cadence and then I'll okay. just figure out what I want. Do you find that you do that or do you write, you tend to write things out and then try to place it or find a beat or what whatnot that'll fit with it? Like, how do you do that? You know, it's a very interesting process because when I was growing up, the lyrics would just come to my head, you know, and I had to put them down. And now it's like, I know when it's time to write, it's time to write. You know, I'll, I'll know what the feeling is that that's kind of going on in my body. And I'll just, I listen to my heart a little bit and I'm like, okay, so I need to look for a beat that resembles this feeling. So I'll be like, okay, let me look at a, a Kendrick Lamar type beat or a J Cole like beat. And now I'm, I'm blessed to have different producers to work with, but yeah, you know, it it I really love the boom bap, you know what I mean? Like that that Nas style. If yeah. you think about like Nas, his first album compared oh, yeah. to now, like it's incredible. It, it it takes you into what really hasn't changed. You know, we're talking about the same things, so we're going through these same feelings on a generational level. So I just I have to be feeling a certain way and especially with this weather, I'm feeling a certain way right now. Yeah. But it's just like you have to have that courage to just be like, yo, like this is exactly what's going on. Because when you just try to have these conversations, whether it's about masculinity, whether it's about how do we as men change the perception around what masculinity is or what blackness is, what does it mean to be an artist, you know, with that power to tell the stories that are untold, um, it takes a lot of strength. It takes a lot of courage. So that's why I'm just... I'm really humbled to really have this conversation with yeah, you. Yeah. My Youth on Record is proudly brought to you by Youth on Record, a Colorado nonprofit organization where local teens are empowered to find their voice and value by working with local musicians as their educators. Teens and Youth on Record's programs are working to be both the next generation of creatives as well as community leaders. They do this through music, poetry, and storytelling. My Youth on Record is one of their newest programs. Learn more at www.youthonrecord.org.
Let me just say thank you so much for being here. Uh, this has you. been such a pleasure. Dude, hell yeah. Thank you guys for having me. And obviously I'm a big fan of I, – I've seen uh, Devochka far too many times. Awesome, man. And um, I say far too many because you guys are terrible. Meow, 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 meow,